Thank you for tuning in. What are leaders and leadership teams doing today that's both meaningful and effective in advancing success? Well, you'll get an insider's seat at the table as part of our conversation with Mitch Fortner, president of KSA Engineers. I've known Mitch for almost three years now, and he's a great example of an inspired modern leader helping to move employees, clients, communities, and our overall industry forward. We talk about a host of topics, including strategic planning and implementation, mission and vision development, recruiting and retention, how to make better investment decisions, and how to succeed with open book management, including the benefits and the beauty of dealing with transparency and truth versus assumptions and speculation. We also talk about the power of purpose and impact, as well as the power of social media. After all, that's where Mitch and I first met long before any formal relationship. Finally, we talk about how work has changed over the years, especially for high achievers, and what we need to know in order to excel and continue to love what we do over the long term. So without any further delay, let's do it. Welcome to AEC Leadership Today, the podcast designed exclusively for engineering, architecture, and construction industry leaders who want to stay relevant and effective. The show takes on the most pressing issues facing the AEC industry and was created to help you and your firm grow and prosper in the 21st century. The host of AEC Leadership Today is Pete Atherton, a professional engineer and former AEC principal and owner turned AEC coach and consultant. And now, take a break from your never-ending to-do list and welcome Peter Atherton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of AEC Leadership Today. Today, we'll be speaking with Mitch Fortner, president of KSA, a growing multidiscipline engineering and consulting firm based in Texas and serving the entire surrounding region. And we'll be talking about a host of subjects critical to success today. Welcome to the podcast, Mitch. Thanks, Pete. Glad, glad to be here with you this morning. Well, we're very glad that you're here. And I was thinking uh, before I got going about how our relationship started. And um, it's really in part a testament to the power of social media. Um, as in, you know, we met online probably two, two and a half years ago um, when we were both guests on or back-to-back guests on the Zweig Letter podcast. Yeah. And we communicated through LinkedIn and then email, spoke on the phone, um, met face-to-face in Little Rock, Arkansas. And then we just continued to meet up and talk at various industry events and conferences. But um, which I just think is really cool from just uh, being able to connect with people through social media. It, it is the, you know, the world seems to be shrinking and it's amazing. I, I've uh, been encouraged so much from our relationship and just learned a lot from you about different things such as employee engagement. And I love your work uh, in the area of uh, burnout. Uh, I read your book and uh, greatly benefited from that and have been able to refer that book to a number of people. And so I I just really appreciate what you're doing for the industry. And for me, uh, specifically, Pete, I I just have enjoyed getting to know you and and have learned so much from you. Well, thank you for that. And the feeling is mutual. And so, well, before we begin um, and get into some of the the items that we're going to talk about, can you share a little bit about you, your career, 
and what brought you to where you are today as president of KSA and about KSA as a firm. Oh, you bet. So graduated from Texas A&M in 1984 with a civil engineering degree, came to work for KSA uh, in May of 1984. And in my early years was very involved in municipal infrastructure, water, sewer, streets, drainage, treatment plants, those types of things. Cut my teeth on planning and design of those types of projects. Eventually, I went to work for the Federal Aviation Administration in Fort Worth in the Southwest Regional Office as a program manager um, and worked on a lot of uh, airport projects in central and south Louisiana, uh, met some amazing people, made some lifelong relationships through those experiences. But in 1991, my family and I decided to uh, leave the Federal Aviation Administration and come back to work for KSA here in Longview, Texas. And I came back as a project manager and helped to build our aviation practice with some uh, amazing teammates here at KSA. And over those years, just steadily progressed in my career, uh, ultimately through a marketing path, uh, became the marketing manager or director of marketing for KSA, learned a lot learned what I didn't know about marketing uh, through that experience and how complex that area of our industry can be. And then ultimately uh, became the president uh, when our president and my mentor of uh, many, many years uh, stepped back in uh, 2000 and the end of 2015. And so I'm still relatively new in the position as president, uh, just for going on uh, five years now. And learn, I, I just love to learn. And um, we have spent that period of time working together as a team, um, transforming KSA, you might say, uh, uh, into a firm that can be sustained well into the future and well beyond our lifetimes. That's what our goal is. Uh, KSA was founded in 1978 as primarily a municipal engineering firm. In the first uh, decade of our existence was uh, focused on the, the EPA STEP grant program. Uh, and we designed uh, water, uh, wastewater collection and treatment systems all over East Texas and uh, had some amazing founders uh, who have both passed on at this point that, um, that really put us on a path uh, to grow and, and become um, industry leaders. And so, uh, so we've been in business for over 40 years now. I'm the third president of KSA and our firm has evolved. Uh, we're about 140 people in 11 offices in Texas, Oklahoma, and Louisiana at this point. Uh, we focus on municipal um, infrastructure, aviation planning and infrastructure design, and federal contracting. And also, most of our work is in the engineering arena. So we're a capital E, little a. We have a, 
a very robust group of uh, architects that support our work and do work outside of um, our, our typical projects here at KSA. We've done some great work for the Louisiana National Guard and, and many of our municipal clients and aviation clients. So, well, I mean, I mean, that's a great background and uh, you shared how the firm has evolved. And so I want to start by diving into strategic planning and implementation because I, that's a part of a firm's evolution. And I know you'd gone through over the last year or two, some strategic planning. I was wondering if you could share a little bit about what that process looked like and, and how that helped you redefine your mission or, or define and confirm your mission and the focus of the firm moving forward. We are big believers in the strategic uh, planning process and strategic management process. Uh, I'm a, I, I think in simple terms, if you don't know where you're going, there's a real good chance that you won't ever get there. And so for us, strategic planning is all about trying to figure out where we wanna go, being very intentional about where we wanna go as a firm and establishing the strategies to take us there. The strategies don't always work, and that's okay. Uh, from everything that we undertake, we learn valuable lessons, and, and we move forward based upon that. We went through our latest strategic planning uh, process was facilitated by the Zweig Group, and they did a great job for us. Um, basically, we involved every person in the firm in one way or the other, uh, through that process, including uh, interviews, uh, surveys, um, and we really tried to, to take the pulse of the, of the company and figure out where we were and, and where we wanted to head. And, and it culminated, that process culminated in a planning retreat uh, where about uh, 12, 13, 14 of our key leaders uh, work together to kind of chart a path forward for the company. And that path is um, focused on solving some of the, the main challenges that we face, not only as a company, but as an industry, uh, with recruiting and retention obviously being one of those primary challenges that I think we all are trying to address uh, as an industry. How, uh, when, so engaged everyone in the process through a series of, of surveys and interviews, when you embarked on that process, was there anything that surprised you? I mean, some of that initial intel, which before, you know, were able to digest it and then sort of develop the team on for the planning retreat. But as you got feedback from the firm, um, anything that jumped out at you? You know, we had spent, uh, the, we've been um, very, uh, active in a number of employee award programs that do annual surveys of all of our employees. And so we get very robust uh, feedback and results from those annual surveys. So was I surprised by any of the, the results? I, I don't think I was surprised because we already kind of had a feel for that based upon those previous annual surveys that we were taking. What the value of the process was for us is taking the results that were 
assimilated or uh, assembled and 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 viewed and collected by a third party, someone outside of the company, and then uh, kind of giving us their thoughts on what they were seeing, and then coming together as a group to try to address those those employee comments and those employee ideas. All right. So that's a good point. So you had to have invested over the years in, in being able to get the feedback. And it's, it's a matter of, of packaging that in before the retreat. How did you determine, you know, who would participate in retreat and what did that format look like? Uh, well, that, that was a bit of a challenge. It was recommended to us that we keep the group fairly small. And the tendency, I think, is to, to make those groups larger than can be reasonably managed. And, and I think Zweig was very uh, wise in recommending to us that, hey, you need to try to keep this down to a manageable group that, that we can facilitate and, and get results out of. And so how did we go about selecting who was gonna be on it? We wanted, um, we wanted diversity among the planning team in terms of the disciplines uh, within our company, the, the tenure of employees, the um, location of the employees. In other words, we didn't want everybody from uh, the administrative headquarters of the company to be there. We wanted people from throughout our entire company that represented all the various um, thoughts um, from all across our company to be in that room. And so that's how we did it. We met as a board of directors and we basically brainstormed what, what would that look like? Who, who would give us the, the best thoughts uh, in that room? And, and I'll be honest with you, um, it was a smaller group than I was comfortable with. I wish that we would have been able to involve many, many more people because we have some incredible <laughs> folks on our staff that weren't able to be in the room. And, uh, but it, at the end of the day, I think that's really good advice that you not uh, overload uh, the, the room uh, and, and get to a, to a number of people that's um, un, unwieldy, unmanageable. So when, but when you go through that process, so it was a retreat, um, what was the result of that? Did you have a document? Did you have marching orders? You know, everyone sort of had, how did, how did you sort of, cul, you know, culminate in results? And then, then I wanted to get into how did you implement? Because maybe then that's an opportunity to sort of include other people in that process. But yeah. once you got through the re retreat, what did the results sort of look like at that phase? Yeah, so we were very um, adamant that we wanted a, a summarized document that told the story on what our planned initiatives were. Uh, and, but we did, we wound up with a thick report, as you might imagine, with all the research and results and, and, and that type of thing. But the the most important part of that to me was a single Excel spreadsheet that, that listed what are we going to try to accomplish? When are we going to try to accomplish it by and who is going to be in charge of that initiative? And so that was, that was the primary uh, thing that came out. We had 
we scheduled meetings in, I think, three or four of our larger offices and gave every employee of the company the opportunity to be in one of those meetings and rolled out the results of the program and made a big deal out of it. It was very exciting and and we wanted our employees to understand that we were taking this seriously and, and we have taken it seriously. Uh, Pete, I'm looking right now in my office, I have a whiteboard and if you're familiar with the Kanban, I think that's how you say it, uh, method of, of planning, you basically divide uh, a chart up into three areas uh, that include to do, doing, and done. And I have sticky notes. This is the, the uh, non-technical way of doing this, but I have sticky notes for every one of those strategic initiatives on that board. And that every one of them is at some point in the process of we're gonna do this, we're working on this, or we've completed this. And I'm counting 10, 12, 13 initiatives that we've completed that are in the done category. We have probably 10 initiatives in the doing category, and then we have about six initiatives in the to-do category that we've, we've started on, but we really haven't made a lot of progress. And the, the fact of the matter is that in a company our size, and as busy as we are, it's difficult to take people off of their everyday work and focus as extensively as you would like on these strategic initiatives. And so you have to, you have to figure out, you know, it's a simple matter of resource allocation. And that's what management is all about is figuring out, hey, what can we focus on? at this point in time without impacting service to our clients, which is obviously our, our highest priority. Right. And that's mixing in the, the urgent matters to that pays the bills um, with the important matters with our strategic long-term health. And so it is, it is definitely a balance and there's probably some seasons and months that are more, you know, that, that there's more time to implement the important things, but I mean, the, the, the key is not to let it go two seasons or a year to right. do that. And so what, what were some of the, the top or, you know, the, the significant initiatives that came out of that um, strategic planning that you wanted to jump on right away? Well, I, I think our mission, of course we have a vision and that, you know, that, um, that is very important to us. Um, and it is a, it's a big challenge. Uh, for where we want to be by 2025. Can you or, share that mission? Because I, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I'll be happy to share the mission. Um, the, and the, the vision of where we want to be uh, is for the benefit of our employees and our clients. But the mission of, of what are we all about here at KSA, I think uh, when, and it was so neat being a part of that retreat and and seeing the development of this mission. And I'll tell you, I've been in some planning sessions where, you know, I'm not sure everybody's really bought into what, but <laughs> this mission is, it nailed it for us. And it was really evident by what was going on in the room at the time. And our mission is simply this, 
KSA, we build people who build the future. And that may, I, that may not mean as much to somebody who's just hearing that for the first time, but having served in this industry for 35 years now and looking back over my career and all of the people who invested in me, I think, man, that's exactly what we want to be about here at KSA. We want to be investing in people who are going to build the future. And, you know, um, and building those people, we, you know, helping them to move to the next point in their career development. And when we say that, we're not just talking about our employees. The, if you think about it, our clients, we, we want to invest in relationships with our clients that build the future through those relationships with those good people. And so uh, we build people who build the future is amazingly um, meaningful to me. It's meaningful to the other leaders of our leaders of our company. And it's not just one of those slogans that you slap on the wall and you forget about. It, it is really the DNA of this company. So did that, so you, and, and, and I, like, as I mentioned, I, I think it's fantastic on a lot of different levels. So I, I'm a fan of it. Um, yeah. So when you came up with that, did that help drive some of the top? And I know I saw, I, I gave you a little sidebar on the, on the, uh, the mission, but did that help drive some of the, in, the, the first initiatives that you wanted to work on to help support that mission or, or what were some of those top initiatives? Yes, it, it absolutely did. Uh, and again, we think that we build people who build the future. If we do that right, then we will be an attractive workplace with engaged employees that are, that are growing their careers within our company instead of having to leave our company to get a raise or get a promotion somewhere else, which is so easy to do in an economic climate with 3% unemployment. If you're not growing your career where you are, there's a good chance in this environment, it does not take much to, to go find somewhere where you can. And so what we wanna be is a workplace that employees can, can grow their careers uh, within KSA without having to leave. So what does that look like? For us, one of our key initiatives, one of our key strategic initiatives was to develop a career development um, center, um, a process that enables our employees to grow their careers here at KSA. So, so we've been working on, and I, I'm so pleased to meet, um, Ellen Binsky from Turner Flash, Flasher and Associates up in Ontario and, and hear her presentation on their TF Academy. And KSA has kind of taken what they've done and, and adapted that to a multi-site location. I think most of their employees were about the same size firm, but most of their employees are located under one roof. Well, career development looks much different in a firm with all of your employees in one place, as opposed to your employees being spread out across 11 offices. So we've had to 
we've had to try to take what they've done and adapt that to a multi-site company. And we've, we've celebrated our first semester. Uh, we have three semesters, just like you would at a university. We call it KSA University. And I know when, when people say XYZ University, a lot of employees roll their eyes and say, oh, yeah, yeah, we've heard about that. That's, that's when, a, when a supplier comes in and, and brings everybody lunch and pitches their product. Well, no, that's not what we're talking about here. <laughs> we're trying to take that uh, model to a, a much higher level and develop a career development center within our company that, that is truly meaningful and impactful. So what does that look like? It, it looks like offering courses that indeed take our employees to the next level. I'm, I, I taught a course last semester that looked at the administrative functions of a, of a consulting firm. And so those are things that I would love for somebody to have explained to me early in my career. What exactly does the accounting portion of our company do? What does the marketing, uh, what do the marketing people do? What do, what do the business development people do? What do the operational people do if I'm on the administrative support staff? What is it that a project manager does every day? So we talked about that over a series of, of meetings and I had, I think, 15 or so employees from the company that went through that course with me. This next semester, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm teaching a course on uh, financial and decision analysis. And I think this has application for the work that we do for our clients, as well as the decisions that we make here as a company. And so I'm looking forward to, to talking about decision tree analysis, probability analysis, regression analysis, return on investment calculations. Um, those things that we may have touched on in college, but sometimes we don't use as often as we like. I mean, we're gonna go back and do a refresher on the time value of money and, and, and how that plays into the decisions that we help our clients make. Um, because we're looking at 20, 30 year, 40 year life of some of these infrastructure projects that we're doing. Well, what are we saddling our clients with in terms of maintenance and operation? And what does that look like 20 years from now? And how do we decide between this project and this project in terms of the financial impact on an organization? Because, you know, let's face it, tax dollars are hard to come by and, and grant funds are hard to come by and you want to use those wisely uh, as, as a client so, or as an owner. Right. So, and there's certainly a high level of financial scrutiny within the client realm, but also there, I think there is a desire among staff to really understand the business implications of our business. Absolutely. So, I mean, that's definitely scratching those, those itches in that sense that people want to know. And, and how else are you going to know? You know, I had a covert mission at one of the last industry conferences that I went to. Every time I would visit with one of my friends from another firm, a CEO or a marketing director or, a, uh, you know, somebody at, working at that level, I would ask them, hey, how do you guys make investment decisions? How do you decide whether to open an office in 
this city or that city are not open in office or how do you decide whether to purchase a firm in that all in that city versus um, an organic startup and I, I you know I said hey are you using any kind of probability analysis any kind of regression analysis any kind of decision tree type things um, are you looking at at, at the investment it, from a return on investment perspective and I was astonished uh, it, it was somewhat gratifying, uh, but as I was astonished at the lack of sophistication in the decision-making processes in this industry. And that, look, that's not casting shade on anybody. Um, I, just, I just think that, that we have the opportunity to raise those, that, you know, and, and maybe if I talk to firms that have you know, 10,000 people there, you get a different, you know, a different answer than talking to a firm that has 50 people or 200 people. Um, but I, I think at this level, we have the opportunity to raise those, the level of our decision-making. And that's what, that's simply what I'm trying to accomplish through this course. Right. Well, I mean, I, and there's a lot of thoughtful gut feelings that, that are done, that are made, um, yeah, and yeah. in our industry, and and there is a lot of thought, and they're client driven, they're industry driven, and by and large, they're probably pretty good. But we also make mistakes along the way. That with a higher level analysis, we might be able to ferret some of those, you know, um, ferret the the mistakes out before we make them, or be able to just be approach it from a different perspective. So we have a, a quicker return on investment. And we're not saying, well, if I knew this three years ago, well, you, we could have if we thought about it in a different way. So the decision, decision might be sound, but the financials might have followed in a positive way much faster yeah, if we thought about it in a certain way. And none of us have a crystal ball. And, but I can tell you that there's a, there's a deep yearning for that type of, I mean, when you work for, for a board of directors that includes a bunch of engineers, there's a deep yearning for something more than a gut feeling. And, and what I'm trying to do is figure out what that looks like in our industry and, and, and teach it. I mean, that's the important thing. Uh, when you learn stuff like that, you don't keep it to yourself. And that's, that's my history of, people, like I said, leaders that came before me investing back in my life and investing in my career and teaching me what they were learning on, along the way. It's, um, it, it's just so cool to be in a position where you can have that kind of uh, impact on people. And that's, that's, you know, kind of my heart's desire at this point is to, is for our company to have a culture, a DNA that looks like that, uh, whether it's training a, a young engineer right out of college how to calculate a hydraulic profile for a proposed wastewater treatment plant, or um, you know, and all the different equations that you use for open flow and and you know open channel and we're you know all of those things, um, you know that's that's building people who build the future. And someday that young EIT is going to be passing that back to the EITs coming up after them. And that's what I want. And I believe the leaders of our company, the team here at KSA, that's what we want to be known for as a company. 
And, and people, I mean, we need to be technical experts. We need to know we're right. And yeah. so how do you get that, you know, formally and informally through in the most effective manner? And certainly having it as a career development program is a significant step to formalizing that and making sure everyone gets it. For your first semester, were there any other topics that you um, covered or thought of covering? And, and certainly, the, I'm sure the, the process will evolve each semester, but what are some of the other areas that you thought were important to yeah. start with? I thought we had some great classes. We had some classes on business development, which, you know, uh, uh, young professionals coming into our industry, they really don't teach you the business side of the consulting engineering or architecture environment when you're in college. Uh, so it, it's really cool to be able to offer a class that helps people understand, okay, this is what it looks like to work as a business in the engineering and architectural area and, and what has to happen. You know, the, the contracts just don't drop out of thin air onto our desk. And, and so we have to, we have to do things to initiate those relationships and, 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 and we, the service that we have to provide. And this is why we harp on communication with our clients and, 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 and meeting schedules. It's, you know, number one, we give people our word that we're going to do this. But number two, uh, if you don't do it, there are many firms lined up behind you waiting to do that work. <laughs> and so uh, just being able to, to, to teach our younger staff, um, you know, and, and, you know, we open these classes up to everybody in the company. So now you've got people from accounting and marketing, you know, the, the, the people that are uh, preparing and assembling our proposals. Now they're hearing what it's like to be out there uh, doing the projects and, and, and seeking the projects. You have our accounting people understanding that, while they're sitting there waiting for somebody to mark up an invoice, well, you know, they've got all this other stuff that they've got to do. And so that was one of the areas we had. Um, uh, our marketing director gave a class on improving our writing skills. It was kind of a two, uh, a two phase class where we kind of introduced the concept and then he went, he took a deep dive and I, I took that class and I loved it. It was, it was so good. And uh, so those are the kind of things. Our, our second semester is in the process of gearing up. We're in enrollment right now uh, for our second semester. And we've added, we, we had a train the trainers class and our dean uh, of KSA University prepared uh, train the trainers class. And, and so we actually certified, I think he said 15 instructors at KSA to teach in KSA University moving forward. And that was a phenomenal class. And we're, we're not just doing training and then everybody goes back to their work and we forget about it. We're doing experiential training where we try very uh, much to tie what we've learned into our jobs. And so there's uh, surveys and feedback with supervisors of, hey, 
your employee took this class last semester. Have you seen any improvement in the areas covered by the class? Um, are there any assignments coming up that we can give to them to facilitate what they learned in that class? And so we're, we're trying to, uh, to make this subject information that matters to our employees' careers. So, I mean, that, that's an investment that's so much more than checking the box. We had this class. So you've got a facilitator who did the, the you know, sort of following through and making sure that there's lessons learned in that. What, what did the train that, what were some of the skills you wanted to impart on the trainers, which I assume are all internal employees, but what did that look like training the trainers? What were you trying to do as far as getting the trainers to a level where they could be effective with influencing the staff. So we're, we're incredibly uh, blessed at KSA to have a dean of KSA University that understands the latest uh, theories on education. And so what we were trying to do through Train the Trainers was help our instructors, our future instructors to understand Number one, what does it take to put together a curriculum that holds someone's attention? I think, you know, we have a tendency to want to just fill up a page, a PowerPoint page with a bunch of words and, you know, be very theoretical. What we encourage through Train the Trainers is let's put together impactful courses, curriculum, that hold, hold our employees' attention uh, while at the same time demonstrating um, like examples that apply to our particular company and, and our particular job here at KSA. And so that's just part of it. Uh, we've got some very lofty goals. Uh, there, there are uh, things that we're trying to accomplish that I really don't want to talk about publicly <laughs> that we just want someday for everyone to be amazed uh, at what has been developed within our industry that's competitive with some other industries that uh, have long understood the need for employee development and training within their organizations. Right. And I, I do want to shift gears a little bit. And I, I'm wondering if this is tied to your strategic planning. But one of the things that or elements that you're pretty advanced on is open book management and that you've been practicing that or a form of that for the last year or so. Did that come out of strategic planning? And could you share a little bit about what that looks like? Yeah, um, I'm happy to, to share about that. And it did flow directly out of our strategic planning retreat. We made the decision in that retreat to open ourselves up. Um, you know, the younger generations that are coming into our industry value transparency and accountability uh, to a much greater extent than my generation, for example, did. There, there used to be kind of a feeling that you go to work for a company and you just trust the, the leadership of the company to, to do the right thing. And I, I think now we're working in an environment that the workforce 
wants to understand, number one, what's my purpose for being here? And it's got to be more than just financial. Um, it's got to be a lot more than just financial, to be honest with you. And, but what open book management does for us is it, it opens up a window of accountability and transparency for the leadership of this company that I believe is unprecedented. Um, we share, Pete, we share everything in our company uh, with the exception of um, compensation, individual compensation. And so we have monthly meetings, all hands meetings for the entire company. If you're not uh, where you can be in the room, uh, we have people all across Texas and Louisiana and Oklahoma that are tuned in on this webcast um, that where every month we go through our finances, for instance, we share the latest uh, financial reports. Um, but more than that, we share KPIs throughout the company of how are we doing in the area of our capture rate, our uh, retention rate, our, um, how, how are we doing with our business development activities? But one of the, I shared a spreadsheet last year 12 times that showed every month um, we made this much profit, we have this much money in the bank, so we kind of have a little bit of an adjustment from accrual to cash and if anybody understands, you know, that if you, if you've been around accounting enough, you understand that. So, but then once you converted the cash, you know, to cash in the bank, where does every dollar of that go uh, in terms of the profit that we've made? So every employee in our company had an opportunity to see at a level that stops just short of individual compensation where every dollar of profit in our company went last year. And, and it, what, that, what that has done uh, for us as leaders of KSA is, is that now, rather than speculating about where that money's going, now we're dealing with facts, you know, and everybody's on the same page. Hey, you may not agree exactly with where all that money's going. You may think that we need to allocate more to ownership transition or less to ownership transition or more to strategic investments or less to strategic investments. But now you know with absolute certainty exactly where that money's going to, where those investments are going to. You know, how much we're paying for dividends for our shareholders how much we're paying in terms of profit sharing awards for our employee groups. Um, so it's, uh, I, it hasn't always been easy, but I love the process. I love the accountability and the transparency that comes along with it. How, what has the feedback been from employees who in the past, I mean, what, what did, a re, you know, a, a, a regular employee, what, what did they get for financial information and how often and, and what has been their feedback now that they get a, a more detailed review once a month? Yeah, so we pay uh, quarterly bonuses at KSA that are based entirely 
Well, they're based on the profitability of the company. And so when we're doing good, our employees are doing good. And, and you know, from a project manager, business developer, developer level up, they would receive reports that showed, you know, various financial uh, things. But, but it was pretty... Um, you know, at, at, at that point and below in terms of the folks doing the, the, the other types of work within the company, we weren't really sharing a lot, to be honest, hardly anything at all. Now, if you were a shareholder in the company, uh, you would receive information on the financial performance of the company. But this, um, you know, it, and I see a direct linkage between open book management and employee development. If I'm a young engineer or a young architect right out of school, by tuning into those monthly webcasts, I'm learning what it looks like to run a, a, a company and, and the decisions that are made and the resource allocation of the decisions and the things that are important like backlog. I mean, every employee in our company should know, you know, what our backlog looks like um, and, and they should know um, how much we need to bill on a monthly basis and what their individual goal is uh, that contributes to toward that overall goal. And so it, it, that to me is directly related to employee development, employee engagement. Now, I understand the bigger picture about what's going on at this company. Um, you know, we look at, we drill down to levels of what's our experience ratio for our health insurance. And, and, you know, how much is the insurance provider having to pay as a company for our benefits versus how much we're paying them. And, and that's important. Why? Well, you, you know why that's important because that affects your rate next year. And so now our employees, you know, they're, they're understanding on a monthly basis what that looks like. You know, are, are we, are we, um, are we spending a lot on health insurance or are we, are we doing okay? And how do we save money in this area? How do we, how do we conserve our resources there? You know, we look at um, every, every month, they look at the top positions throughout the entire company. They know where we're trying to add people uh, and what, what positions that we're trying to bring in. And we've, we've gone so far, as, you know, for, for uh, if our employees bring a, a, a candidate to us and we wind up hiring them, we pay some phenomenal recruiting fees. <laughs> to our, to our employees um, that, you know, and, and our thought was, look, if we're going to pay a recruiter a percentage of a first year salary, why not share that with our employees if they do the same? So, yeah. Have you, have, do you think, uh, have you been doing it about a year now? Do you think overall it's been a positive impact in terms of morale and culture? And, and what does it look like in terms of, you know, without any specifics, but do you think it has improved the bottom line? Oh, yeah. Our, um, our profitability 
shot up last year, to be honest with you. It, it, it's, we did very well last year uh, for the benefit of our employees and our clients because a company has to be financially healthy to be sustained into the future and to continue providing services um, for our clients. And so that's why that's important, but absolutely. Uh, and I, I, I believe it has had a positive impact on our culture. I think that just giving people more information and being transparent and open and letting them know, look, we want you to understand this. We want you to have this information. It's important to us. Now let's talk about what impact that has on how you do your job or what questions you might have. Right. I, I think it's been very good. Yeah. And it's certainly, it's leadership extending trust. And, yeah. and trust is usually matched with trust, but it's the leader that benefits from giving it first. Um, well, and so I think that's a healthy it's a we, healthy thing. We have a we have an outstanding leadership team here at the at KSA, and and they're they're bought into this uh, building people who build the future. Like I said earlier, and and a part of that is accountability and transparency. We don't always agree as a leadership team, but I can tell you with with uh, absolute certainty that our leaders are for our employees. They they're their biggest cheerleaders and, and they want them to succeed. Uh, they're also for our clients and they want us to provide the very best services that we possibly can as a, as a company. Without, without getting into too many specifics, were, were there any, you know, fears and anxieties that you had with going from sort of the conventional way of sharing financials to the open book management um, that, you know, how did you, you were there? And if so, how did you overcome that? And, and what advice might you have for other leadership teams that are, have been talking about it and, and, but, you know, but now are seriously considering moving forward with just being more transparent from a financial perspective? You know, change is not easy for some people. Some people, uh, it, one thing that, that is just so obvious to me is that some people thrive on change and some people dread it. And, and so what you have to be sensitive to is the fact that there are people within any organization that like the way things are going <laughs> um, and, and, and don't, want the, don't want change. And, and so we have to be very, very considerate of, of that mindset um, because we want people to be comfortable working here, right? But from my perspective, you know, we had, uh, I, I had studied open book management back in the 90s. There was a book that came out by Jack Strack, I believe is his name. It's called The Great Game of Business. And if anybody that's considering going into an open book management uh, uh, concept, I, I still don't, what is this, almost 20, 25 years later, I don't think there's a better book that's been written on open book management since that book came out. And so we had tried open book management at a certain level uh, back in the nineties here at KSA after we were introduced to that book. Um, and honestly, 
when those questions start coming that you invariably get, I think there's a tendency to, um, to want to run from that. And, and so back in the nineties, when we tried that, it, it didn't really work within our company at that point in time. And I think, I think for us, it was too early. Um, but now our leadership team is committed to open book management and they're committed to dealing with the occasional uncomfortable conversations that come out of, uh, open book management with transparency and accountability because look, I mean, what, what you're doing is as a leadership team and you're opening yourself up to everybody in the company and, and, and now they're able to see, okay, this is what they're doing, you know, <laughs> and you, you may or may not agree with it. But what I tell people is I'd much rather you have the facts than to speculate about what, is going on. And usually the speculation is worse. Oh. I mean, there's really never off. Well, in my experience, speculation never really is for a more rosier future. It's usually something that's the opposite. You know, and that's the beauty of, and that's how um, recruiting and retention and career development marries up with open book management in my mind, because you know, again, in a 3% unemployment environment, if I'm speculating that something's going on and I'm not getting a fair shake or, um, you know, any number of things that, that, an, that an employee can, can um, be thinking that may not be true, well, why not just deal with the truth? Why not deal with, um, look, this is what we're doing and this is why we're doing it. You still may not agree, but at least you know, and I trust you enough to be able to to talk to you about that instead of keeping it a secret from you. Right. And I think that works on a human level all the time, but even more so with professionals who are very highly in tuned and detailed, that it's something that I think is important. And, you know, you captured something with leadership. Uh, you know, it, it's, it is about courage and, and moving forward in change. And, you know, certainly most organizations, you know, have to leverage the past, build on what works in the past and move forward. So being able to leverage the change, hold on to what works and change, you know, these new areas. I mean, that process of going back and forth and having, you know, people on all sides as the decision process is moving forward. I think that is so healthy for an organization um, well, in the leadership team. You're right. Uh, I, I talked about how everything that we had done uh, to try to diversify our company had not worked. Right. But the good news is we didn't leave it at that. We've learned some things through that process. And, and those are valuable lessons, sometimes painful, sometimes expensive, but extremely valuable moving forward as an organization. And it's something that you can point back to and say, look, we've already tried that and it didn't work. If we want to try something similar, what are we going to do different next time based upon our experience that we believe might have a better chance of working? Right. And I, I want to shift now. I mean, you had mentioned purpose and that, you know, we, we've got to be so much more than just the financials. 
Um, what does purpose look like for you? And I wanted to ask you, you know, some of your initiatives as far as like external corporate impacts. I know you're doing some pretty, pretty neat things as, you know, through the KSA Cares program and how you source some of your holiday gifts in, in a way that it has sort of long-term corporate impact. Can you share about some of your programs and, and why you feel that's important and what the employees think about that? Oh, yeah, I'd love to. Um, well, one example is that for um, what, 40 some odd years, we've given uh, corporate gifts at during the holidays at Christmas um, that, you know, a box of pistachios. Well, you come out of that and you've got a box at the end that you can put uh, business cards in that has a KSA logo on it. But this year we, we said, you know, let's, let's look at something different. And so what we did is there is an organization that we love here in Longview that helps women to develop, um, you know, and some, some of these ladies are come from a history of abuse or um, uh, a history of addiction or, any number of, of things, um, but this organization focuses on helping those ladies to advance themselves and to, to, to be able to earn a living and support their families. And, and, oh man, we just love, love, love that mission, that organization. And so they, they do something. They have a, they have a storefront here in Longview uh, where they actually sell products that these ladies make. And one of the products that they make is holiday gift baskets. You know, they, they make, um, they make uh, packaged uh, candies and, 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 and different things of that nature. But anyway, we, we put together a program this year with them and, and where we were able to purchase all of our holiday gifts from that organization and then we were able to include in the packages a story of that organization and what they're accomplishing. And, um, it, it, oh man, it just, <laughs> Pete, I, I just love it. I, I'm, I'm thrilled. Um, and, and I'm also excited, you know, one of our long-term employees, one of the leaders of our company has actually left KSA and gone to work. Uh, for that organization on a, on a full-time basis, I, I think full-time, but she's now a part of their leadership team. And so that, that's how strongly she felt about that organization. And we just, we're thrilled that she's there and that she's sharing uh, the things that she's learned at KSA over her career with them to help advance the mission of that organization you know, we, we do other things uh, throughout the year with KSA Cares, um, different organizations that we support. We, we do a, a strong canned food drive um, where we compete among offices. And, and our McKinney office is like the perennial winner of this, of this award. And I don't know what they're doing over there. I've never seen so many cans of food in my life. I, I mean, I, I just don't understand how they do it, but they, they just wipe the floor with all everybody else across the entire company. And it's something that they're extremely passionate about. And what they do is they divide themselves up into groups and compete among themselves there in that office. And it's an extremely um, 
Well, I'll just say they're very passionate about it and nobody else seems to stand a chance of, of winning that every year. So that's, that's really important to us. And, you know, we've had um, an engineer, we had a situation where um, a, a city flooded uh, and one of our engineers uh, went and, and helped to, uh, in the reclamation efforts in, in that city actually, you know, got down and dirty literally and, and you know, helping to, um, to sort things out. We we're very proud of him for doing that. When Houston uh, flooded recently during the, the, you know, the hurricane, I forget the name of the one, gosh, man, they, they've just, they've really been hit down there. But um, the, the really bad hurricane, um, we collected, a lot of the stores were closed in the Houston area and throughout our entire company, we collected things that our employees might need that they weren't able to get. We asked them, okay, what, what do, what do y'all need that you're not able to get? And man, we loaded up, um, I loaded up my, uh, FJ Cruiser and took off and, and was just so thrilled to be able to represent the heart of our company for those employees that, that we knew were suffering down there uh, in, the, in our Sugarland office. And so th that's just an example of some of the things. And, and when, when I say it's gotta be more than just financial, um, it does. Uh, you know, one of the things I love about the generations that are coming into our industry at this point is they're very purpose driven. And, and I tell people, you know, of all people, of all professions, of all companies, can you imagine how purposeful it is to design a wastewater collection system for a very impoverished community that has never had wastewater collection and they've had challenges with septic tanks in their yards and you got kids that are playing in ditches with open sewer, you know, I, but to be able to put a, a collection system in for that community. I mean, and that stuff happens over the 40 year history of our company. We've designed sewer, uh, wastewater collection systems for, for communities just like that. I remember the very first project that I ever designed as an EIT and I was so proud of it, it was a standpipe for a community um, on the north side of their very small community uh, for water storage. And look, before the standpipe was put in, if, if somebody had a house fire on the north side of town, there's no way that, that the fire trucks could have been able to uh, supply the, fire, the, the, the water required to, to put out a fire. But now that's changed and those people have a much more reliable fire protection system in their community. And that's because of work that we did here at KSA. That's purpose. And, you know, I look across our industry at how there are stories like that unfolding every day in, in our industry. And I think sometimes we don't take credit we don't, we don't take stock of the purpose um, that we have as professional engineers, professional architects, professional planners. Um, 
it's huge. And so that's when I say there has to be something more than financial. We, we're positioned as an industry to help these purpose-driven uh, younger generations understand, man, come into our industry and, and go through those STEM programs in high school and college and, and, and take those hard degrees with five or four math classes. <laughs> and it's not just about differential equation. It's about meeting the needs of the future to sustain the future uh, of our communities. Right. I mean, and well said. I mean, we're really truly improving public health and welfare and the environment in almost everything we do. And we lose track of that. And I think yeah. that that's shared. And you mentioned STEM and I know, you know, you've taken sort of STEM to the next level too. I mean, can you share about your STEM program, how you really invested in communities and the dream you have for, for your STEM work? As a, as yeah, a you know, and I, I'm happy to share this publicly because I would love for every firm in our industry to take this on as a challenge. I believe that one of the solutions to the lack of enough engineers coming up through the ranks is for us to take a more proactive approach to directing uh, middle school, junior high, high school students toward what would it look like for you to, to have a career in engineering, in, in architecture, in planning, in surveying? What would that look like for you to have a career in that? And man, when you sit down with a student and you explain what I just explained about the purpose, um, that really can catch their imagination and, and, and you help them to see themselves in that position in the future. I mean, we, we've, we've done things like taking um, high school math classes to one of our project sites and, and visiting and letting them just ask questions of the engineer. Was it, was it like to be an engineer? And I remember, <laughs> I remember one uh, field trip that we took, one of the questions was, Mr. Forder, how much money do you make on an annual basis? And so, I mean, that, they'll put you on the spot, uh, but it's a, it's a blast. And so, what we want to do and what I'm, there are a couple of project managers and regional managers that have really taken this challenge and they're, they're embracing it is to uh, include in our, in the communities that we work in, we want to take our projects into the colleges and the high schools and the junior high schools and talk to those students about what engineers and architects are doing in their very own community. Go talk to them, give them an opportunity to be involved in your project. If you need um, someone to do surveys, um, work, with a, work with a high school teacher and see if their class would like to be involved in polling residents on what amenities they would like in a new park or what, where they would like the new park to be located. And man, some of our uh, project managers, we have a uh, aviation planning staff that has really embraced this idea and they're, they're uh, really trying to involve the local community students in our, in our planning projects. And so that's a, that's a really exciting initiative for our company. And we're looking forward to much more of that type of, um, of work in the future. 
And that really is not just next level thinking, but it's next level action to make that work and to really have that impact on communities. And I think that really adds to the culture and the vibe um, of the project teams and, and the overall organization, in addition to really making an impact on individuals, because it's individuals that change families that change communities and change neighborhoods. I mean, it really is. It's a one-on-one -on -one relationship and, and one, in, in, impacting one person can make a huge difference, you know, generationally. Yeah, I've come to kind of an epiphany over the last, uh, I guess, decade or so. You know, we, you get on social media and you see all of these needs throughout the world. And you can get very passionate about it and you can do all the hashtag campaigns uh, that you want to in the world. <clears throat> but your best opportunity to impact the world is to work within your direct sphere of influence. And, and, and as a practicing professional engineer, architect, surveyor, planner, your, your sphere of influence is much bigger than you likely think that it is. And so the, these are the ideas that really excite our leadership team here at KSA that propel us forward. Mm, well, well said on that. And I, you know, as we close, I do want to touch on one more subject because you brought it up and it sort of, it, it sort of brings it back from the top. Social media, um, you <laughs> and your firm are, you know, impressive in social media. And a lot, I know a lot of firms, you know, are hesitate or they sort of have rules about it and really aren't moving it. What's your thoughts on social media? Um, and how do you think it works positively for you? Well, you know, of course, there's different social media channels that have more or less uh, impact on our target audience. I mean, we're, we're trying to talk to um, clients through social media. We're trying to talk to potential employees, existing employees. We're trying to talk to the community at large. And and so, you know, picking the right channel is, is very important in that regard. But I, I ran across a poll not long ago that really brought this home to me. And it kind of changed my attitude about social media and our, our profession and our company. But the poll indicated uh, that I think it was like 70 or 80 uh, percent an imp a, a potential employee was like 70 or 80% more likely to interview with and go to work for a company whose leaders were active on social media. And I got to thinking about that and I thought, you know, that's, that's true. And, and it's important that, you know, and that this is what we talk about here as a leadership team is it's important to be authentic in, in what we do on social media. People can smell BS, uh, you know, today, especially, you know, with all of the information that we're just smothered in, people can smell, you know, the, the BS uh, meter is highly calibrated at this point. <laughs> and so, so what we try to do is be uh, extremely authentic um, and, and just let people know who we are, you know, get to know our leaders, get to know our employees, celebrate our employees, celebrate their accomplishments, celebrate our clients, celebrate our projects. Um, 
and let people know what we do. And, and, you know, it's amazing how impactful that has been in the area of recruiting for us. It's just, it's been huge. And people, I think people appreciate the opportunity to get to know a company through social media without having to pick up the phone or submit a resume and try to get in for an interview. I think they just appreciate the opportunity to be able to, if they want to, they can tune in and they can see, Oh, okay. Well, that's what that company's all about. You know, if I was a, if I was a college student, I'd really, you know, that's my whole life. I'm, I'm on the computer all day long or my phone or my iPad or something. So if I can use that media to understand more about companies that I might be interested in applying for, I, I would be very appreciative of that. And so we're just trying to make it convenient for people. Right. Well, and even as an older generation, I mean, uh, when I want to research something, I'll look there too. I, you yeah. know what I mean? Like you want to get that flavor and the comfort level and, and get some knowledge before you go in. So, well, I want to, you know, as we wrap here, first of all, I want to thank you so much for, for being a part of the, co- uh, the, the podcast and for, you know, sharing, you know, your thoughtfulness and your candor, you know, as a, as a very effective and progressive president, which I think will help all leaders and help our industry move forward. But, you know, as we close, is there anything else you'd like to share or add to our discussion that can help other leaders and organizations move forward? No, I, I think, I, I think we've covered a, a lot of different topics. I, I will close with this. Um, I, I said it at the beginning of the podcast, I'm extremely thankful for your work in the area of uh, professional burnout and what that looks like. And, you know, I tell people when I was coming up through the ranks in the nineties before cell phones, um, you know, I was doing projects in Northern Arkansas on airports and I would get in my truck and I would drive for four hours and along the way, I had the beautiful scenery of the Washita and Kaimichi mountain ranges to look at. I had the radio to listen to. I could put in a book on tape or, you know, and, and that was a somewhat relaxing time because people couldn't reach me in my truck. Now, our project managers uh, get in their vehicle and they've got a speakerphone yakking at them the entire time, whether it's a, an employee needing direction on a project, a, a contractor calling to try to work through a construction problem with them, uh, a, a client talking about, you know, a design feature. It's hard for a professional engineer to, or architect or surveyor or planner to get away from <laughs> work at this point. And, and I think it's leading to employee burnout. I've seen employees leave our industry because they, they've been doing it, you know, for a long period of time and they just don't see that they're just burned up. And, and I think your work to uh, shine a light on that, is just so important. I want to encourage you to keep doing that. Um, and, and I know your heart for that and I know that you will. Uh, but, but man, I, I just encourage you to keep doing that because it's so important. This is a great, great profession. Uh, and, and it's so purposeful. 
And, and I think anything that we can do to help transition to this new era of technology, this new era of accessibility, um, and help people to bridge that and learn how to manage that in their lives is, is just vitally important. Well, I mean, thank you again for that. I mean, I definitely, I am committed to helping folks, you know, have excellence and high achievement for the long term. Um, yeah. So we don't burn out. We continue to love what we do and, and do it better. Um, yeah. Be able to put guardrails on it and understand how we can continue to progress um, without that burnout component and everything that comes with it. So I appreciate that. Um, truly do. How, how can folks get in touch with you to learn more about um, your philosophy, what you're doing and KSA? Very easy. Go to www.ksaeng.com and you can find, find me there uh, through our corporate website. You can also find me on LinkedIn. Uh, it's just Mitch Fortner on LinkedIn. Uh, you might, if there's more than, you know, one Mitch Fortner, I'm the guy at KSA. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mitch Fortner. Uh, and you can email me uh, at mfortner at ksaeng.com. And I'm happy to collaborate with uh, other uh, industry leaders. I've, I've been given so much, uh, as I've said before, uh, by those that came before me. I just am happy to share what I can with others that are coming along with me. Well, excellent. Well, thank you again for being on the podcast. I truly appreciate it. Yeah, thanks you. Thank you, Pete. I appreciate it very much. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Well, that's a wrap. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to and rate this podcast on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to the show from. There are links on my website and in the show notes to do so. And please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It really helps to get us established. And I truly appreciate that. It also helps get the word out so that together we can collectively grow and positively impact the lives of others, both inside and beyond our organizations. So thank you. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of AEC Leadership Today. If you want to stay relevant and effective and take your growth and prosperity to new levels, it's time to take action. To learn more about how Pete can help take you and your firm to the next level, visit www.actionsprove.com. That's www.actionsprove.com. See you next time on the AEC Leadership Today podcast.